1: Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standing Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standing, and I cover the Commanders for The Athletic. hope everyone is doing well here in the DMV on this Wednesday evening. um, I have got a jam-packed show for you right here. Like, I'm I'm not just saying that. Like, I'm just telling you it's the truth. All right, here's what I've got. One of my favorite guests to talk about. especially this time of the year, as you guys know, I love the the GM stuff, the front office stuff, obviously the mock drafts. Here to discuss a lot of that today is our guy, Randy Mueller, two-time NFL general manager. He is now one of our analysts at The Athletic. He just wrote a top 150 free agent list. So I had Randy on to discuss some of that. I don't want to spoil it. Some of you may already know. He's got a very notable omission with regards to a player on the commanders on his list. So we had to discuss that, but also we got his view on what's gonna, what's the, what happens here at the Combine. What are some of the things that we need to know about? How hard is it going to be for Dan Quinn and Adam Peters to get everybody on the same page with free agency in the draft coming up? Um, and also, at the end, we discussed what does he think about the, the quarterbacks in this draft, the top three guys Um, that we believe Randy may have a different view of that. But uh, the uh, Caleb Williams, Drake May, Jaden Daniels got his views on all that. A really fun conversation. I think Randy is a really insightful uh, guy, and I like how he thinks about the sport. So we'll get to him. Then, Barry Verluga, Washington Post columnist. There's been a lot of talk, as you guys know, uh, that I like to, to dabble in the Wizards. There's a lot of Wizards and Caps fans here. And there's been a lot of that conversation about, that arena. What's going to happen? Is it going to go to Virginia or not? We didn't really. I mean, we we discussed that tangentially, but the primary reason I had Barry on was to discuss what makes the most sense for the district, because it is, seems to me like you could keep the commanders. i oh, sorry, the the wizards and the caps, perhaps. But then, does that mean you lose the commanders? Or if it's the other way, is it better to have the NFL team than it is? the other teams, even though, you know, one state, one arena is going to get filled a lot more often than football stadium. So we talked about that and kind of where we think this is all going. Cause even though Ted Leontis is doing his own thing with the wizards and the caps, it is still, um, connected to the rest of this. You know, it, it, take, it could take Virginia off the table. It could take DC off the table. Um, Maryland could get extra desperate if, DC loses it and they've got to go harder for the commander. So I, I think it's all does relate. We discussed that. And then finally, uh, today, meaning Wednesday, the commanders were kind enough to make all of their assistant coaches available that we hadn't heard already heard from. So we got, um, uh, everybody right. Basically from L- Larry Izzo on down. I spoke to many of them today, including, uh, Anthony Lynn, the new, uh, running backs coach and run game coordinator, former head coach, Talked to, uh, Brian Johnson, former Eagles OC, now Washington's pass game coordinator and assistant head coach, talked to Ryan Kerrigan, Ken Norton Jr., Tavita Pritchard. I'm gonna uh, and others. I'm gonna tell you what I some of my takeaways from that, and then I will play you some audio from Brian Johnson, Ryan Kerrigan, and Ken Norton. So a lot to get to. We'll do it all in a minute here on the standing room only podcast. Of course, you can find the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere you do your podcasting. I had my story up today on the athletic about Drake may and Jaden Daniels, the presumably the likely options for Washington at two, if they're staying there. And I wrote this article. No, I didn't get like analysts to talk about these quarterbacks, but you, know, you can read Dane Bruegler on our site for that and others. But I, I talked to people who've been around them. I talked to some of their teammates at the senior bowl. I talked to some of their foes at the senior bowl. Um, uh, you know, we we had on here recently Phil Longo, the offensive coordinator, former offensive coordinator at North Carolina for both Drake May and Sam Howe, spoke to him and others and, and just started to feel who they are because it isn't just about how big, how strong is the arm and the size, important stuff, but who are these people's leaders? That quarterback position, the leadership is a big deal. Who are they as people? Try to get some insight into that. So, I uh, appreciate everybody who uh, has already said some uh, kind words about that. You can find that on the Athletic. All right. So, let me get to the assistance. Um and then I as my part of my intro and then we'll move on to the rest of this. Um they have done this in the past uh for the uh for for the staff and um you know, the way it works the head coach it's not available to us 24-7, but pretty much the head coach is available to us typically often. I'm assuming that they'll have the same methods that we had with the Rivera group. We get, you know, so in a given week, he the, the head coach will typically talk on a Monday after a game, on a Wednesday. R- Rivera did Wednesday and Friday, and then, of course, there's after the game on Sunday. Thursday was the day for the two main coordinators. The other coaches, we would get, like, one a week on Friday. Um, but you may only talk to some of these assistants once a year. You know, uh, you know offense, but, like, some positions, it's just not going to be more. So this is really, for us, a rare opportunity to get uh, any of these uh, folks. And I guess we should say we get them in, like, training camps sometimes. But you know what I'm saying. Like, not often. So this is a good opportunity to, hey, get some face time, especially since these are all new guys. Uh, other than Tavita Pritchard, Ryan Kerrigan, uh, were they the only two there today? Yeah, they were the only two there today that are holdovers. So definitely, I, I guess I yeah, Bobby Ingram was not there. So um, now that I'm realizing it. <laughs> um, but anyway, so uh, you know, everybody else is pretty new. I, first chance I've ever had to meet uh Anthony Leonard, Ken Norton, or uh, Tom Tommy Donatel, uh, Donatel the new defensive backs coach, etc. Didn't have a chance to get to everybody. But I would just say a couple of things here. Number one, if you saw Joe Witt Jr.'s press conference uh, when he was introduced as the new defensive coordinator or introduced to the media, a lot of energy, a lot of passion, right? The kind of guy who's going to make you run through a wall. Uh, I, I'm not saying Anthony Lynn reached those levels, but you can tell he's he's got a lot of fire to him. Uh, he's obviously, again, been a head coach. He was just in the Super Bowl with the 49ers just uh, you know, a week or so ago uh, as their... Uh, running uh, run running backs coach and and run game coordinator. I believe he had both those titles. Um, he has got a, a lot of that. It's going to be really interesting to me to see how it fits with him and Kingsbury in particular. There's Brian Johnson too, of course. But you know, how does that whole dynamic work? I think that's the thing. You know, in so it's all so new for this whole group right now. Um, you'll you'll hear with with Ken Norton, but like he, he even said that like he he hasn't like talked to these the players yet. He's you know the, they've been able to watch some tape, but they're still learning their room. They're still learning what it is that Dan Quinn wants. Dan Quinn is still learning to a degree what makes the most sense here for a plan. He's got to figure out this new t- it's, it's of course he can always say this is what I want to do, but on some level you have to cater or you should to the, the players on the roster. Plus What you know? Figure out what you have, then figure out what you need, both in free agency and the draft. So they are still go have a ways to go here. That's one of the things I talked about with Randy Mueller. But that said, first impressions seems to me like a very professional group. You know, uh, sometimes you can be in these circumstances, and the person just has no interest in being there, Um, even if it's just you know some relatively benign. Questions. I mean, I I would be surprised if anybody asked any. You know, nobody. I, you know, nobody was asking questions today. Of, you know, hey, are you gonna? Is this guy gonna make? You gonna keep this guy? You gonna resign this guy? None of those kinds of things. Hey, nice to meet you. Give us a little background. Here's a couple specific questions. If you if you have a chance to to answer, Um, they were as a group. I think, like I said, uh, seemed like a pretty professional group. And you know, to a large degree, I, I think that's. I I get it. You want guys that are going to win. I'm just saying, but you got to be, you know, y'all got to get along and and, and do your business. And it looks like a group that should be able to do that. And that reflects Dan Quinn from what I've seen from him so far. Everybody says he's a, a guy that connects with his, the people in his room. And, you know, it seems to me on the surface that the, that that should be the case with a lot of the people that we spoke with, uh, today, um, back to Anthony Lynn for a second. He, uh, said, uh, I'm not playing certain audios largely because like some of the some of the groups were were more noisy than others in some of these interviews you'll hear it's just a one-on-one and in uh, one case at least it was or maybe two cases there was a uh, other reporters but Anthony Lynn it was just a lot of people around him at the moment that I was there so it was a little um, wasn't it was was a lot of extra noise but um, he said that you know I was kind of like how did this happen how did you end up here and he said that he and Dan Quinn have known each other for some time. Uh, turns out that Mike Tannenbaum, who is now an ESPN analyst, former Dolphins and I think Jets GM, right? He, um, was let go from one of those GM jobs and ended up working for a sports agency. Uh, and he hired, or he, sorry, sorry, he signed his first two clients were Anthony Lynn and Dan Quinn. And, uh, Tannenbaum put them together, said, hey, you know, guys will, you should hit it off. And, you know, they have, I, I don't know, clearly there's some kind of level of friends, but they've been, you know, they, they've kept in touch over this time. And they've they even had, Lynn said, some conversations about, hey, you know, if we have the opportunity to, to, to do this, let's do this. So I think Lynn kind of sensed that he had a chance to be on Dan Quinn's staff once, um, you know, that got once Dan Quinn got here, Quinn, uh, you know, obviously they had he had to wait till the 49ers were done the Super Bowl, but it was right thereafter that Lynn agreed to to do it. So, uh, you know, he, he's I'm sure obviously hopeful uh, to have that kind of a of a presence, and and uh, you know, again, it's it's not just him, but it's Kingsbury, it's Brian Johnson, and um, all the other staff. But uh, Anthony Lynn's going to play a pretty good role here. Also, a reminder: Anthony Lynn almost was here last year. He met with Ron Rivera for the uh, for the OC job last year, and he said, and and part of the reason I brought that up with him was a lot of these guys can honestly fall back on, hey, I just don't know enough about the team to, to to give you much. But with with Lynn, he had to do some homework on this team last year because of the fact he was doing this interview. So I kind of asked him like, what was your view of that team of the team then, and what? you know how does it sort of the whole situation compare to now and he said yeah i did take a look at this group and i did like a lot of the offensive pieces he mentioned Terry McLaurin he later was asked about Brian Robinson and said some good things about him as well so he had already had a feel for him so not that he is far along at all but at least relative to maybe other coaches he already has a probably a better feel for some of the pieces now granted Antonio Gibson as we know is a free agent and and Chris Rodriguez hadn't even played yet last year but nonetheless You know, you get a feel. I'm sure as the run game, you're looking at some of the offensive, other offensive pieces as well. So, uh, you know, he said good things about Quinn. Obviously, he took the job. Others did as well. So, uh, I did. I so I if I think about it later, I'll I'll, on another day when maybe I have a slower day, I can talk about some individual uh, people. But I talked to Tommy Donatel, as I said, Ryan Kerrigan. Brian Johnson, Anthony Lynn, Tavita Pritchard didn't have a chance to talk to Brian Johnson, the or sorry Bobby Johnson, the offensive line coach, or Larry Izzo, the special teams coach. But um, yeah, it, it was a good day. I appreciate we always appreciate when the team makes all these guys available. Thanks to Sean Barbary, PR guru, for that. Uh, so that was that. Now I'll play that sound I mentioned, but I'll do that after we get through the uh, the interviews with Randy and. Barry. So we'll get to that in a moment. Um, as I mentioned, this will be the last podcast I do before I physically leave for Indy. Perhaps I will have one up on uh, for 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 Monday. I don't know if the schedule will be next week in terms of podcasts because it gets weird when you have like sort of these all day events and part of the, the when I say all day events, I'm including. Uh, the evening hours, because it's, you know, part of the whole opera, the opportunity to be here is you're there with kind of the whole league. So, you know, have a chance to talk to some people about all kinds of different topics. So I don't know what the schedule will be, but obviously there will be some podcasts. You can rest assured of that. All right. So let's do this. Let's go. We'll start with Randy Mueller talking about the combine, talking about the quarterbacks, talking about washington's free agents which who 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 stands out to him and who doesn't stand out to him uh i would be very curious to see your guys thoughts on this you can of course hit me up on twitter at ben standing email me bstandig at the all right here's randy Mueller and then barry's ruling and i talking stadiums and what is the best move for dc and how does it affect the commanders we'll do that now here on the standing room only podcast All right. Very exciting for this. We all sit around and, you know, do mock drafts and say who we want. This guy, that guy, that guy. This guy is actually my guest now. He's actually done this. He's had to put his name on picks, on trades, on signings. (laughs) And he's here. He's a two time uh, NFL GM. So here he is, uh, Randy Mueller, who I'm proud to say is a uh, colleague of mine at The Athletic. I literally sent him the, the link to this Zoom we're doing in Slack. Very happy with that. Randy, how are you?
0: I'm doing great, Ben. Thanks for having me on. And I uh, appreciate the intro. Uh, all that means is that I've been around a while and been blamed for a lot of stuff. So uh, I maybe have a little thicker skin than, than some, but it's it's uh, far from an exact science, everything we do. So glad to talk about any of it with you. That's for sure.
1: <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Yeah, we're going to, as I said, as we'll, uh, said in the intro, we'll talk about some combine thoughts. Uh, you are in charge of our free agency uh, ranking. So that you just put that out this week. I encourage people to go look at that. Um, and, um, you know, you, you you know, you've been around football, seemingly your whole whole, double life here. And even just recently, you were working in the front office for, for the Seattle and the XFL. Obviously there's a merger now with the XFL and the the UFL, no USFL. Mm -hmm. Before I get to anything I just told you we were going to discuss, I do want to ask you this about that. How come the NFL doesn't have a, a real minor league system? Like, essentially, that's kind right. of what this is. But why, why isn't there something more designed, whether it's a full team or the commanders send players to Seattle? Or yeah, I know Seattle is yeah. not part of the merger, but, you know,
0: why, why isn't that the case? It is a great question, and it's one I've kicked around with NFL people for years. We had that association for years with the World League. There were several years where we would send sometimes eight, nine players to go play in NFL Europe. And it is a great tool for developing players. If for no other reason, it gave our quarterbacks a chance to go play under fire and have to do some of the things that they can't get of true picture uh, doing in practice. So, I mean, hey, the Kurt Warners, the John Kittnes, the those guys that, that play Jake Bolognes, those guys all played in these NFL Europe's or these spring leagues. And it is a valuable tool for sure. So I don't know the answer to it. I guess part of it is salary cap, guaranteed contracts. A lot of financial reasons why maybe it doesn't work. I do know this, though. The other leagues that we were involved in when I was on the NFL side, the union, the players union was always a partner in. And that's a a bridge that I think if that could ever be crossed, it could probably come back in that form. And it has to be that the NFL union is on board with it as well, because you've got to work out some financial things with regard to, let's just say a guy gets hurt in that league. What happens? How does he get his money? it will have salary cap ramifications as well. So no reason that it can't happen. It's just that I don't think they've had anybody that's been able to connect all those dots between these spring leagues and the NFL group. I know this, when I talk to GMs in the NFL now, they all wish they had it. They would all find value in sending their players to play in these spring leagues, as opposed to standing around lifting weights in January and February in their facility. They would rather see these guys go play, practice squad guys, into the roster guys, especially quarterbacks. Go play a 10-game season somewhere, and for the development of the game itself, it's a great idea, and why it hasn't happened, I'm not sure.
1: Because yeah, the quarterback is the biggest component because, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I see here the commanders have had practice squad quarterbacks and nothing ever happens. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I know they go through practice, but like there's no remo- there's nothing close to game action. And even with no. practices, if you if you're the third guy, you know, whether on the roster, active roster, the practice squad, you're getting no reps of any real kind. So what is the how are you supposed to develop the most important position in sports and then? What happens? Somebody gets hurt. Like when Washington had a practice squad guy, this happened tw- twice. When the injuries happened, they immediately went and signed somebody off the street They uh, to go play. Yeah. Like, what is that? Like, what is the point well, of even having
0: the guy then? That's the other thing is having a, somebody perform under the bright lights, which is – in game-like conditions, is totally different. You can watch a guy practice forever, but you may not know what he's made of until he goes and gets hit in the mouth and has to go back to the huddle and gets hit again. And it's just, it's not the same. Practice is not the same, especially for quarterbacks who have to process so much information on a play-by-play basis. If, if I was in charge, I would say the league ought to do it just for quarterback development reasons alone, especially when it's a quarterback-driven NFL that nowadays.
1: Would you would you do it simultaneous to the NFL season where like like the way the NBA does and you can call, or baseball and you can call somebody up or would you do it the way the model is now, like spring, summer, so it's just a different time?
0: I would definitely do it in the spring because that's when those players who are coming off a of season on a practice squad are ready to play and then you can return them to that team uh, by draft time. So it's the months of February, March, and April that are the key months for developing players. And some of these guys spend three, four years on a practice squad and they never get to play except in preseason. Well, these spring leagues are way more competitive, way more, um, I I think, revealing than a preseason game uh, where your guys play in the fourth quarter and it's like recess. Guys are just running around and nobody really has a plan. So I think the spring leagues really have value when it comes to developing really all positions.
1: Randy, this is how I get off course with these podcast interviews. I start, sorry, I have sorry. a plan and then I was like, oh, you know what? I meant to ask this. And then we, and I, I love this. I could keep talking about this because I think it's <laughs> something that just makes too much sense. But in any event, all right, let, let's get to some other uh, news here. We have not talked on this podcast since Washington made a bunch of changes. Ron Rivera out, Dan Quinn in as head coach, Adam Peters in as GM, Cliff Kingsbury is the OC, Eric Bieniemy is out from your seat what did you kind of make of everything that washington has done on that front
0: well there's been a lot of change for sure there's no second guessing that sometimes change is good it opens up opportunities for a lot of people there and others who have come in um i think they had to do something they were they were headed nowhere we talked a little bit about that last time i was with you they needed urgency they needed a new plan and a new message. I think it, and I love Ron, but it had gone stale and there was just no progress being made. So I get it. Um, I love Adam Peters. I think he's really good at his job. I think he's qualified and they they hired the best guy they could for that job. I've been a little critical of the process in that there are so many cooks in the kitchen, but they got it right and they were definitive and had conviction for his hire. So I love it. Um, the coaching search, Took a little longer, a little more dots connecting than I would have hoped for and thought. But just because you're the last team to hire your head coach doesn't mean you're doomed. Uh, Dan Quinn comes with a pretty good track record. So I think if him and Adam can get on the same page, which I see no reason they can't. I know Dan well. He was with us in Miami when I was with Coach Saban with the Dolphins. Um, really good guy, really good communicator. I love his people skills. And really, that's what these two guys bring more than anything is. I think they have great, great football acronym, but they're also... Um, very good people persons guys and and that matters communicative skills matter, and I think the commander's got guys in both those chairs now that are really good, but they also have some urgency and can hold others accountable because I know their personality and I like them I think it's good
1: um with regards to Peters, like everybody says i I have not I'm not seeking it out, but I have yeah. not heard a negative word at all about him since you know, he became on the radar and and you started talking uh, uh, about him Um, because he's was, you know, not the lead of that group. Essentially, I guess you could say he was the third guy because between John Lynch, Kyle Shanahan, him, how how does one know that he's good? Obviously you've talked to him. You've seen him perhaps on the road or what have you, How, how does it, how does anybody know that the guy who isn't the lead is good?
0: Well, it's just like we talked about with players, you know about him when you watch him practice, But when game time comes around, everybody's a little different and some guys melt and some guys step up. I think Adam has what it takes to step up to to have uh, a feel under pressure. Now, we won't know that because there is no body of work. You're right. He has not been a primary decision maker. Um, But from everything I've seen and been around him compared to all the other options they had, I think I have less questions about him making the next step. Now, his life has changed and in fact, I, I told him this. I said, You you're you're not going to be able to sit around and look at players in a closet anymore. That's not what this job is about. You've got to manage people, you've got to be a fixer, you're going to have stuff come in your lap that you've never dealt with before. So you better have a guy or two that you can count on as your go-to evaluators and people to bounce things off of um, to be successful. And, and we'll see. I, I know he's kind of restructuring his front office a little bit. I know Lance uh, Newmark and have known him for a long time. I think he will be good in that role. Um, comes from Detroit. Uh, I think he's one of Adams buddies. They know each other. They're going to be able to be on the same page quickly. So the learning curve won't be bad. Um, so I think that's another positive. So they're, they're starting to gather the right people. And and now it's a matter of getting the vision of Dan finding out what he wants to do on both sides of the ball. And then you set your criteria for team building based on Dan's beliefs of, of how he's going to use these skill set and schemes. And then it's up to Adam and and Lance to melt, meld everything together.
1: Um, New Mark to your point, like uh, if you say right now you're getting Somebody out of the Lions front office, boy, that sounds really good. They have been crushing the yeah. draft the last um, couple of years, and uh, obviously they've been a really good team. He was also there for the last 26 years, and they've been yeah. pretty not so good. Uh, he was overlapped with Martin Mayhew quite a bit. H- how do you look at that in a sense of uh, somebody can be really good and just be in a bad situation? We see that on yeah. all levels how do you identify that? Like what, what, what's, what do you see with with Lance? Other than, you know, him? he said that the, the, the recent maybe over, you know, is more important than the last 20 years about.
0: So yes, when somebody has been at one place, a long time, it, it is a badge of loyalty, but you can also, uh, I, I was there, I was 17 years in Seattle. I knew how maybe some things were done that I wouldn't screw up the next time around too, because I witnessed some of the things that were, it didn't work out. And Lance has seen that. He's seen the bad. He's seen the good. He's seen regime regime changes. He's seen a lot of losing. And recently he's seen some winning. So uh, I think the biggest thing though, is the relationship that they know each other already. They know how they evaluate. They know how they value players. And that's an advantage when you hire someone that you're comfortable with. And like I say, it is really about learning curve of each other. Um, It's not going to take a long period of adjustment. These guys know each other well.
1: The number two pick, uh, Washington obviously knew they were going to get that from the moment the season ended. Um, And then so all the people coming in, uh, Peters hired first, then Quinn, then Cliff Kingsbury. That's all a known thing. When you're in these interviews, we hear about, to some degree, what is being discussed. Adam Peters acted the other day at at the Dan Quinn's introductory press conference when I asked, how much did you guys talk about quarterbacks? He's like, ah, we haven't really gotten into that. That's not possible, right? Isn't that like what got to be like one of the main topics? Like, are we on the same page with what we're looking for or whatever? Like, what What's the quarterback conversation like, especially for a team with the number two pick when you're hiring all these people?
0: You might be shocked, Ben, but that conversation is probably true in that it hasn't happened a lot. Um, and I'll be honest. I, I, I love Dan Quinn. I, I, you know, he was my neighbor in Miami, but how much I'm going to give him as far as rope goes in selecting a quarterback? Probably not going to be much. It's that decision is going to be made elsewhere. And now maybe Cliff will have a little more to say about it. And I'm not disrespecting Dan. I'm just saying that's not his area of expertise. Plus Adam is the guy who's seen all these guys. He knows all the options. You can't come out with an opinion on a quarterback unless you've seen the whole gambit, unless you've seen all five or six guys that are being talked about. It's like this free agent deal that you mentioned we put out at the athletic. I get a lot of comments of how can you do this? Or how can this guy be rated here? Because I've seen the whole picture. I've seen all these guys. The options matter. And so it's easy to nitpick and say you can't have this guy rated here when you don't know the rest of the field. Adam Peters knows the rest of the field. So I think he will decide that. Um, Lance will have a lot to say about that. Cliff will have a lot to say about it. But as far as Dan's expertise in selecting a quarterback, Again, I, I'm not being disrespectful. I'm just saying that's not going to be a big factor. So it doesn't surprise me that Adam would say, hey, and we may have talked about it a little bit, but that's something that they'll have plenty of time to talk about from here on out.
1: Right. And I guess like, you're right. I've been, Dan Quinn's been busy. <laughs> it's, it's not realistic that even if he was catching some college football on a Saturday to see uh, Caleb Williams or whatever, that's not the same thing as what we're talking about. But at the uh, same point, like, I know like there's some coaches, I think more of like some NBA people who they're just not playing a rookie that's not for them. They're not going to do it. They're not going to trust the rookie. And I don't not saying that's the case here, but like, I would think at least it would be, Hey, Dan, we have the number two pick decent chance. We're going to take a quarterback as opposed to you might be saying, Hey, I want you guys to go out and sign Kobe percent to it, whatever. Like it, it, I would think at least, is that even a conversation or is that, am I just uh, overthinking this?
0: No, I think that may have been brought up. And if the answer wasn't what Adam wanted to hear, he wouldn't have hired Dan Quinn. Right. So if, if if a coach had an issue playing a rookie in this position that they're in now, he's not going to get the job. Same with Cliff. If Cliff had some re- reason why he didn't want to play a rookie quarterback, he wouldn't be there either. Let's just face it. You've got to have right. options. You've got to have people on board with the vision and what you're doing. Um, there's no perfect plan. A rookie quarterback, if that's the route they choose comes with some problematic issues as well. So um, time will tell how it works out. I don't think those conversations Uh, before the hiring would have mattered too much because I think they were probably in agreement with, hey, we all have to do what's best for the group. And if it means playing a young kid, we're going to suck it up and do it. You want those guys, especially in that position, to fail forward fast. And that's the biggest thing is you're going to take lumps. Uh, Hey, look at Dan Marino, Peyton Manning. They all took lumps their rookie year. Whoever they pick, if that's the route they go, going to take lumps, trust me.
1: Um, so to that point like this is you know adam peters clearly had a sense of dan quinn before at a minimum and dan quinn told us he had uh, paid attention to cliff kingsbury and so on but like they, it's not like they, these guys have worked together like you may have a feel for yeah. what they do as a system but you know you don't necessarily know what you know the, you don't know what their favorite flavor ice cream is so, yeah you, know, you don't know enough about them to know and everything so all these hires just got to happen and here we go free agency starting a couple weeks the draft is already you know senior bowl already happened here comes the combine how quick how challenging is it to get everybody on the same page in this first year whatever that means to get everybody's viewpoints opinions and wor- figure out a cohesive way to, to work when you don't have a ton of time
0: it's hard it's also exhausting it's I remember taking over the Saints in 2000. One of the reasons I hired Jim Hazlitt as our head coach was I knew he would set the rest of his life aside. That sounds cruel and inhumane, right? But I knew that we'd be there at 3 in the morning looking at film and that we'd be back at 5.30 the next morning. And I knew what it would take. So that is, I'm sure, things that have been talked through. Um, The biggest thing they've got to get on the same page on is the vision of what we want in this team, and then positionally how our criteria is going to map out. What are we going to ask our inside linebacker to do? What are we going to ask our left guard to do? We're going to set a priority as to our criteria so that we're all looking for the right thing. Now I'll tell you, Lance Newmark is going to have a lot to say about this because he'll be the guy who doesn't have to meet the media. He doesn't have to glad hand at the marketing stuff. He'll be back watching film and, manning the shop for the most part and really supplying the information uh, gained from the coach's vision on scheme to how who fits best for us so i think the biggest challenge for them is to get everybody tuned in to exactly what our offense is going to be what cliff wants out of our quarterback position and then the same on defense does dan want this does he want that They've got to set their own criteria so that they all know what they're looking for and can identify the critical parts that go into team building.
1: I was going to do free agency stuff after the draft, but since we're sort of talking about understanding like, what is it that this team is, you did a ton of homework to come up with your free agent list. So, and you, obviously you pay attention to the commanders and so on. So for you, I put you in the seat. Like how do you view this commander's team? Obviously they weren't good last year, Um. And we'll, they're about to get a quarterback we think, but like they've got a bunch of holes on the same, on the, at the same point, you know, I think they probably underachieved with the talent that they had. It's, I don't think it's as desolate of a roster as Four Wins, but you just looked at a bunch of stuff. Wh- wh- where would you be if, if you're Washington? Uh, uh, you know, what would your sort of main goal be in terms of how to start, start building this thing?
0: Well, I said there's two or three teams after doing my review for the Athletic of, two or three teams that are in really peculiar spots. One was the Ravens because they have so many impact players that are going to be free agents. I could see the Ravens roster changing really a lot. And I don't know how they recreate what they had this year, but my second team in that regard was Washington in that. And I think you wrote it. There's 20 some players who had some impact on their season this year, who are going to be free agents. Um, yeah, we all know that they have 70 million dollars available or 73 if we're uh, counting to the penny of cap space available. So there is going to be more evaluating of their own players and of the options that are out there in the commander's building than probably any in the NFL. So you got it on the head. It is a critical time for evaluations of our own guys. And looking forward and really the way you do it is you evaluate your own players, which I'm sure the staff is doing now, and you're going to put their name up with the potentials or the options that are out there in free agent. And what you don't want to do is get worse. So you may have a different perspective on, on guys that are coming in off the street, but you're going to know a little bit about the guys you have, obviously. So you have to piece that together. Um, I think the fact that they have a lot, lot of money I think people, listeners, readers, they equate money under the cap as being able to spend and and that with success. Spending is not equal to success. You've got to make the right decisions with that money and it may not be spending at all. I would be heartbroken if I was a Commander fan and they spend $60 million in free agency. That is not the way to go. They need to piece this thing together with quality and it may not be we go after the, um, high priced, uh, bounty hunters, the, the top guys in free agency that may not make sense for us because we did win four games or whatever they want. They've got to be better than that. So, um, they're going to have to piece through this. They're going to have to be very intentional in their moves and don't be letting 73 million burn a hole in your pocket. Don't if you're a fan, don't be discouraged if that money is not spent in the first week or so. These guys have a lot of needs, and uh, I think if you can keep a couple guys who are important to you, great. Add to it, great. But it's going to be a, a year or two before this team is a playoff team. Don't expect results to happen overnight.
1: And they don't just have holes; they have holes at the premium positions. Quarterback, obviously, we think they're going to. Mm-hmm. We think we you know how they're going to fill that. Left tackle, I'm not convinced Charles Leno returns based on his cap number, but at a minimum, they got to pay the line. Edge yeah. rushers, they definitely need that. I think arguably yeah. they need – either they have to bring Kendall Fuller back or get another corner. Maybe you don't go top dollar, but, like, it is the big positions. It's not just they need mm-hmm. a linebacker, which they do also, but they, they need the the position to cost a lot of money.
0: Yeah, I think change will be the issue, and how they deal with change obviously will determine how successful they are. I just think that it's okay – They, they, and I'm sure fans alike, they should embrace the change. If there were 30 new players on this 53 man roster next year, so be it. They got to, they got to weed out what I think. And again, I'm not disrespecting the old staff. I think they did a bad job in team building and developing players. And they've got to weed out what's been there or some viewed as being successful, even if it's an individual player they need change. They need to change as much as they can um, because they can't have the past creeping in.
1: Um, I'm just going to quickly read the, the names of the commanders players on your top 150 people. I encourage people to go read the list. I'm not going to say the numbers. So you can go see where they are. Uh, Curtis Samuel, Kendall Fuller, Sadiq Charles, Cornelius Lucas, Byron Pringle, Jacoby Brissett, Jeremy Reeves. Um, or, uh, there's a name missing. I had somebody, <laughs> I had somebody DM me. Um, on twitter he's like hey fyi uh i just read Randy's article he's missing somebody maybe they, it's an oversight maybe you want to tell someone and i was like no no they, they, it's missing it's missing for a reason and that is cam curl who is typically viewed as the number one yeah. uh free agent for this team i the, the question of how much he's getting paid is one i've been wondering but you didn't have him in the top 150 could you just tell us from your perspective why uh why that's the case
0: I just didn't see the same things with Cam that others have seen. I saw, and again, I don't want to beat him up. I know he's been a productive player on paper, but I saw a lot of inconsistency. I saw some instinctive issues. Uh, I saw a little lack of feel for the game in different spots. And I'll be honest with you. I watched a ton of tape because I knew you liked him and I knew some other people liked him. So I went back out of respect for people I know to try to say, what am I missing? And could he be in the top 150? Of course he could. He could be, you know, it, it, I, I could easily swapped him out for somebody, you know, in the back third of that 150 for sure. And, and yeah, I can make a case for that, but I like the other options around him. So that's what I would caution people on is when you look at this list, before you say, oh, this, Randy doesn't know what he's talking about, this doesn't make sense, you better look at the other options at that position. I'm not going to have 15 safeties in the top 150. I don't think I'll have 10 in there. There may only be six or seven, but the other options for me were just a higher quality. So some of it, it was inconsistency in what I saw in his play. Others was, I like the other guys and the other flavors better. And I always say this, it's why Baskin Robbins has 31 flavors, Ben. Everybody gets to go in and pick the flavor that they want. I'm not going to make you have... Uh, rocky road and you're not going to yell at me because i want something else that's just one opinion and if we're not building a team for a criteria that we have scheme wise from our staff which we don't in this exercise this is really kind of just my vision so it could be totally different than your vision or another one of our reader or listener's vision that's just the way it is
1: um Yeah. No, look, I, I, (laughs) what was the year? Was it, was it the Vikings who got passed in the draft because they didn't turn their card in in time? That would be, that was me at Basker Robbins. I would sit there for like (laughs) 10 minutes. Couldn't, I could never, never make a decision. Um, It was, you you know, and uh, so, yes, I, I totally get that. Um, And just to go back to curl. So what's funny about this to me is on some level, like, look, he had no interception since his rookie season. Like that is pretty weird (laughs) at the position he's playing at. He did not generate a lot of turnovers um yep. what, what you know he he came in immediately in training camp that his rookie year as a seventh round pick started making plays he had three interceptions his first year and you know i think one way team fans and fall in love with and i understand why the underdog guy who you oh my mm-hmm. god my team just discovered ronnie yep. lot in the seventh round this is unbelievable and you start yep. that and he's got a fun name and he's a really I, I like him he's a good guy yeah. and also this huh. team hasn't been really good so like when you have anybody who looks promising Right. I think sometimes you can like sort of elevate their status. And I have been wondering to that end, you know, how much would he even get paid this year? Because I don't know how good, I, I know what he is here, but it's not making the same plays as as other guys. Yeah. Now, that said, 150, I was, not to be in 150, I had the same thought. And she was like, oh, I guess Randy must have left him out by mistake. Yeah, I hear um, you. So, But like, just out of curiosity, Jeremy Reeves is here. He's a special teams player. He made the Pro Bowl. Yeah. Is he here for. That because he also safety or I assume it's more for that than playing safety.
0: Primarily it is for that. I think he's a great special teams player, but I also see him as a guy who could play safety if ever given an opportunity. I watched a ton of preseason film on him in particular and have seen him the last couple of years. And every time I see him, he's making plays. So he was a guy that jumped out to me with his instincts and his consistency when he got that chance. It'll be interesting when you, when you talk about curl is how this new staff will value him. I think that will determine obviously what he gets paid and if he stays or not um if they see some of the things you guys have talked about or or commander fans then he'll probably get paid and stay if not they might let him walk and just think we have other options at that position so hey i'm not saying i'm right i'm just saying for me that wasn't the flavor i was looking for
1: sure Uh, to me reeves is a no-brainer he's like a fan favorite locker room favorite Made, yes. It went from a guy who couldn't even make the active roster to being in the Pro Bowl. He got he's coming off the injury. He's not going to cost any money relative to what we're talking about. So I I thought personally they should have like re-signed him this past year. But right, no, that's a. That's a, that's a, that's a Lastly, I'll go back to the draft quickly. All these guys on this list, you have them in the order, but the, the order is not necessarily like, hey, I would rather sign this guy for this money than that guy for that money type deal. Is there one of these guys based on where Washington is in? You think, hey, I would prioritize
0: uh th- getting th- getting this guy back well there's a couple of them and it's really based on the positions they play um you talked about Cornelius Lucas mm-hmm. good luck finding a left tackle i got news for you there's not going to be anybody out there that's better per se unless you want to break the bank you can maybe draft one maybe Who knows what's going to be there? You're not going to pick one early, so you probably got to pick one in the second round, maybe. Um, I think he would be a priority for me just because we don't have a lot of options. So here's how I prioritize it. I want to keep the big guys. I want to keep the guard, too, the Sadiq kid. I think he's worth keeping just because these guys are hard to replace and fast guys. And that's why I put Curtis Samuel where I did. I think Pringle is another guy who can run. I think you've got to protect big people and fast people. And so that's what I would prioritize if if we're going to spend money on some of our own guys. I don't think you can go wrong keeping those offensive linemen or the fast receivers and then working them in or until you keep them temporarily until you find some better options.
1: Yeah, I, I had, like when I did my list for the athletic, I didn't rank them best players. I ranked them based on sort of what I thought would be like, yeah, their, what would make the most sense. And I had Lucas, I think, fourth. And I had yep. James Smith Williams defensive end who you didn't have on your list. but that i am not, that's not a thing uh, that that's just me looking at like, they don't have any defensive ends Just yep. sign. Just keep somebody because he did start for them when they had a top 10 defense yep. two years ago. Um, all right, before I let you go quickly, let's go back to the draft. Um, the obviously for Washington, a lot of focus will be about the, the, the top quarterbacks, whether it's the quarterbacks or player 300, how much, well, maybe not player 300 for guys who are, say in the top, the first round, how much your opinions really already locked in at this point in terms of like if Adam Peters has already looked he's like oh, this is what I think of Joe Alt. This is what I think of Malik neighbors, whoever it is, H- what percentage of the final evaluation is already done and what could be the thing that could completely change it one way or the other?
0: Well, I think the scouts evaluations are done. I think Adams got an idea of how he feels about these players. What you haven't been able to incorporate in the process yet is the coaches, and they will be involved in that. Once they get a little bit of the free agent stuff out of the way, they'll have a chance to turn the page and get to know a few of these college kids. Um, they're going to probably be spending the majority of their time installing their offenses and defensive though this first year so they may have to depend on lance on adam on on some of these other guys the quarter coordinators are going to be busy as heck they're going to be installing and they're going to be evaluating and the way we always used to do it is they would use a morning for one the afternoon for the other And the evening kind of carried into, hey, maybe that's when we meet with the personnel guys to go over what we saw that day. So their days are going to be long. Um, But they're going to have a chance, the coaches to change the way these players are thought of to a point. Um, Obviously Cliff's going to have a lot to say about the quarterback, about the system itself. And then Lance and Adam will figure out a way to maybe figure out what the best fit is for what they're going to want to do. But I'd be surprised at the end of the whole process if they're not all on the same page. And here's the the good, good part about it, but also the frustrating part, Ben, is if you're not on the same page, it used to, it used to piss me off more than anything else, but only because it was a frustrating, I know we're not going to go that route if we're not all in agreement. So we have to pick another lane. And I used to yell at the scouts, not because I didn't want their opinions. I just didn't want to have to go find another lane to pick on players that I really thought were good. You know, so... I'm not going to pick one and force my hand. And I'm sure Adam Peters is going to be the same way. He's not going to force his hand. So if a coaching staff comes back with a different view, they're going to have to pick a different lane more times than not. And that sometimes can be frustrating. But the point is you got to get it right as a team, not as a personnel staff or as a coaching staff. You've all got to be on the same page.
1: Um, Before I ask you which of these quarterbacks you like the most, I, I, when you go into these meetings with Caleb Williams, Drake May, Jane Daniels, what 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 is your what is your strategy? Is there like a one question? Like, do you really intrigue to ask them? Maybe it's not football, but just what's your plan to figure out who these people are? Because that's what the point of these interviews are—is to get to know the person, how they think. How do you what, what's your game plan to approach that?
0: I think everybody thinks of the interviews at Indy. Um, those are fifteen minute interviews, Ben. That speed dating I'll be honest with you. Yeah. I mean, whatever they, they do that now at the bowl games as well. Mm-hmm. They become 15 minute speed dating sessions. I can stand on my head for 15 days or 15 minutes. I might be the biggest dumbass in the world and they won't see it in 15 minutes. So those aren't part of it, but you're going to have to find time to spend quality time with every one of these quarterbacks as a staff, as individuals, you're going to have to gather the Intel and your scouts have done their part. They've already gathered it from others. But I want to know, and I want that comfort of knowing exactly what makes these guys tick. And that means character. It means um, intel, how they learn best. It means here's one question that's paramount for me with quarterbacks, especially how are they when shit goes bad? That's really what I want to know. Cause guess what? what? Shit's going to go bad most Sundays. And that might be the number one question I want to know is how they react to that. Are they finger pointers? How are they when I play bad? And I got to come in on Monday and am I going to blame others or am I going to be accountable? I got to know that stuff more than anything else. I can work with about anything, but I've got to have accountable people at that position. So those are things that they're going to find out when they dig deep. They're going to have to spend as much time over the next couple of months with all these guys to find out all of that intangible information. We can figure it out on tape, what we like, what we don't like. The intangible stuff is hard because you have to consider the agenda of the people you're going to for this information too. Everybody used to say, well, we'll just go to their college coach. I got news for you. The college coach has an agenda too. He wants his guys drafted. So he's going to tell you exactly what he wants to hear. And I'm not saying that disrespectfully. I'm just saying you got to know the source and the agendas uh, where you're getting the answers from. That's all. So it's a tough process. It really is.
1: All right, so it, it i i totally get that for sure. All right, so it comes down to this: is last question, the most important one for fans. You, you're in charge of the number two pick, and obviously we understand you are not having these interviews with these players, so you're going just off of mostly off of the tape or things you've heard because of what you who you are. You can sit there at number two and pro- possibly take Drake May or Jane Daniels. You can maybe trade up the one if you think Caleb Williams is all that. You can trade back if you don't love what you see from these guys. You're sitting there too. What are you doing?
0: Well, again, it depends on how I value these players. And if you ask four or five people who I really would trust as evaluators, you might get a little different flavor than what's out there in the media as to who they think is going to get picked where. I don't think Caleb Williams is in the, ish, is in the equation because I think he's going to get picked. I think that's pretty much a foregone conclusion that he's going to Chicago. I would not trade up to get him. I think they're not at a point where they can do that at this this stage, they've got so many things on their plate that it may make sense for them to just keep as many chips and play them and add players, like we said, as they can. Um, the other guys, for me, depend on how the offense is going to evolve. I don't happen to be a big Drake May guy. I don't see what all the hub hub is about Drake May, so that one doesn't really jump out at me. I'm a little bit interested to see where J.J. McCarthy's intangible stuff are, and I think it's really good from what I've heard. Um, I think he's the one wild card in the whole mix. I think I know Jaden Daniels, and I like him. I think he's a good player. I think he might fit exactly with what Cliff wants to do, but I'm going to want to know a little bit about J.J. before I make that call. I'm not one that's going to have Bo Nix or Penix in this equation. Not for me. So I just think – I don't think we hold um, accountable – the evaluators outside NFL buildings, because we want to say, Oh, there's four or five quarterbacks. They're all good. They're not all good. Right. Trust me. They're not, there might be a couple of them that are good and maybe one fits better with our scheme than the others. So it's not the year to get well at quarterback. It never is, but having a second pick goes a long ways toward giving you some options anyway.
1: Well, now I wish I'd asked you this question earlier because you just threw in the J.J. McCarthy, not 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 that <laughs> I'm Drake May. I got a lot of questions. The good thing is, I think Randy's uh, said he was he will kindly uh, join us again after the combine. He'll be in there in Indy with me, so we'll get his feel for what he saw there from these guys. They'll all have uh, do their press conferences, so at least get to see some of that, and we'll see how they. What I assume those guys won't be throwing or doing much on uh, on on the field, but whatever we see. And then uh, we'll talk more about free agency um, about other free agents that Randy's looked at that thinks maybe perhaps could be guys at Washington should be interested in Uh, at Randy Mueller. The underscore is after your last name. Uh, You are on every week with Mike Sando as part of the uh, athletics football show podcast. Why don't you get it on Fridays, right? I, Cause I always catch it late tape
0: on Fridays. It always comes out Saturday morning. It's the football GM. You can search for just the football GM as, as kind of its own standalone, but we are on the feed of the athletic football show.
1: I, I say this knowing we have good, good groups. It's my favorite one. I have always say I view the I view football through the through somebody who wants to be a GM or like thinks like a GM more like I'm not the X's and O's guys. Um, So I really appreciate what you and, 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 and Mike do. He's obviously uh, a deep thinker as yeah. well. Randy, awesome stuff. This is why I lo- love having you on. Uh, well, we'll see. It's going to be interesting, to, to say the least. Thanks
0: so much. My pleasure, Ben. Good to be back with you.
1: All right. It feels like we've got like a lot of activity going on with all these teams in town. Uh, the Nats are apparently no longer for sale. Uh, the Wizards are in are trying to figure out where they're going to play in the future. And the Commanders, the same. Uh, here to help me sort through all this is a Washington Post columnist, Barry's Reluga, who also is a, uh, I believe, a DC taxpayer, and uh, this, so all these topics go beyond professional. There's something else there for him. Um, How how do you enjoy the constant conversation about where your tax dollars may or may not go?
2: Well, I mean, as a DC resident uh, for more than 20 years, I have like a very um, visceral, emotional connection and logistical connection to having the hockey and the basketball teams, you know, a short Metro ride away. I I also feel like putting the tax part aside, like I feel like having professional sports, um, high level athletics is part of what makes a city, a city a world-class city. Um, It fits in with the museums and the restaurants and the bars and Um, the music venues, and if you strip that stuff out, then there's a hole in the social and cultural experience that a city provides. And I want Washington, D.C., not only as the place that I live, but also um, as the nation's capital to be a world-class city. Um, And I just don't think of it in the same way that Ted Leonsis seems to think of it, where he has long put forth this idea that the area from Baltimore to Richmond should be this super city. And I really feel like he's trying to speak it into existence when um, really, you know, people in Maryland love the Maryland flag. People in DC love the, the two bars and the three stars and um, Virginia, Virginians feel, um, you know, kind of passionate about where they live as well. And, and you just can't, you know, snap your fingers and have that, um, go away. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm against the teams moving out and that doesn't even get to, you know, how and if the commanders should move back in.
1: I mean, you know, you know, you've obviously been, uh, a journalist for a long time. I've done it long enough now. I don't, I, I, I it completely skews my memories to a degree of fans of being a fan of like going to games uh, in, in that regard. Cause when we go to games, it is work, even though, our work is covering sp- it's like a but it gets still a job like everyone else is going cuz they're going to have have a blast and drink beers or or whatever um the energy though going to a game in a city it just doesn't compare to a game in the suburbs now in fairness the, the this virginia suburb is not like the suburbs like going out to even pg county or or you know god forbid dumfries but like in terms of um it it, it 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 the feel is just completely different and 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 i guess also again as, as somebody who's been more of a wizard's person yeah there just hasn't been much of a feel of, of anything except for those few years with john wall and bradley beal in, in a while but that is what you want as a fan i think i i that's why like i just like putting aside like you said the tax dollars or anything else like it's just a better the the whole situation feels bigger if it's in the city
2: so i'll use the example that um my daughter happens to do um, the Nutcracker at the Washington Ballet, which is at the Warner Theater in um, the, the month, you know, between uh, Thanksgiving and and the holidays. Um, and so that brings us down there. Uh, that's at like 13th and D or whatever, a lot over the course of that month. And on the days when the Wizards or the Caps are playing, you see people you know, at the Willard Hotel, from at the Hamilton, at um, you know, Old Ebbett Grill or whatever in caps sweaters for sure, maybe less so wizards um gear, but it's it's a it's a day in the city and it allows you know, if you're not there for that event, you're swiftly reminded, like, oh right, the caps are home tonight or the whiz are home tonight, or even Georgetown, which I guess would stay in an otherwise like decrepit um Uh, arena. um, You know, that's the, it's part of the vibe. And I have likened this plan that um, to, to move the two teams to, to Alexandria, to a new development where there would be entertainment options. Um, It's very similar to me, or sounds very similar to what the Atlanta Braves did in moving from South of downtown in Atlanta to essentially unincorporated ob county north and, and west of the city um to you know an area where two intersects interstates intersect and they basically just built an instant city development around the ballpark where the braves can generate revenue for themselves and it's but it's it's just this kind of soulless um like i said insta city that doesn't have character doesn't have history you know maybe the beer is still cold and and the music sounds good but to to me that's not what uh, a ballpark or an arena experience should be it should be varied and um kind of built into the the downtown not not a uh a destination a self-contained destination which i can see why that would be um appealing to someone like leontis because he's he's Able to double dip if he's help, if he's helping develop that real estate around there, but it just doesn't feel to me what you know that that's that's not what a city should offer is some sort of outlier, self contained, um,
0: mini city.
1: Right. No, I mean look the, the the soulless mini city thing you know they pop up everywhere. Right. One loud out by the 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 practice facility has that. Um, you know, look I, I I live in Bethesda. Bethesda is more or less kind of turned into that to a degree like you know you can go to like so many places and see all the same every every little mall has like a sweet green and a kava and um i don't know maybe there's an apple yeah it's like everybody it's exact same uh exact same things and yeah it just does it it does feel like if if you're coming from out of town and you need to want to move all this boston's kind of the same or, or, or um that that area it's, it's nice. It's clean. It's, it's, but like, it doesn't, it's generic. It doesn't, there's nothing to it. And you, right. If, if you're going to be, you, you want to feel something um, unique, I think going to these things, but, but let me go back to sort of the the the, the bigger point. So we're going to keep arguing about whatever is going to happen here with, with the wizards and caps for who knows how much longer, but I, I going back, even before we knew that this was a potential, I was saying for myself a long time ago that if I'm DC, and i i know that everybody wants the commanders to go back to rfk i get it but if there's a risk of losing the wizards in the caps i don't think i would take it i think i would focus on the wizards and the caps because of the fact that you know whatever you want to do with cap one tear it down fix it i don't know but there's that that building gets used you know what 200 250 dates yeah. a year and you know it's there all the people who want to tell me about you know what's going to happen with they leave cap one that is still going to be used? Give me a break. They're going to take that down. There's no, You're not going to get anybody there. The occasional concert, Georgetown, nobody goes to that. You, but whereas the football stadium, even if the commanders max out every game you could possibly play, preseason, playoffs, and even if you tell me you're bringing in, I don't know, Navy football, uh, a, a Final Four, three nights of Taylor Swift, what are we getting here? Fifty dates. So that to me is the question. If, if I'm DC again, you're the DC guy. I kind of feel like the basketball hockey side is better if you have to pick. So what? Where are you on like what you're kind of rooting for at this point? About what you would want DC to get?
2: Well, a couple things. I think I've talked to people in the district government even before this um, plan was unveiled who were concerned that Mayor Bowser was so fixated on of her legacy being the mayor who brought football back um, that she was taking her eye off the ball of keeping basketball and hockey and in fact that's exactly what happened Um, so now she's kind of there's if this really happens in Alexandria she's either going to be the mayor who brought football back but lost basketball and hockey or got none of it um, which which is a tough uh amount of pressure to put um on her your point about the dates is exactly correct in in my view and and again with some people i've talked with in within the district government um government uh a a football stadium um if you're putting public funds into that, is a losing proposition even if they develop rfk into some sort of mixed use um you know, almost like a thing like the Patriots have in New England, where there's retail and um, a, kind of a, a multi-use stuff out there. Even if there's housing nearby, um, you're you're looking at a, a building that is dark far more dates than than it's running, and that's just not true um, downtown. There's also an argument that economists um, who have studied this stuff use that um, if when you put public funds into stadiums first of all that's become a drug that that um the us has become addicted to and and it's a cycle that probably should be broken but the argument that um a new neighborhood will be built around rfk if that happens likely what happens is that that development comes at the expense of someplace else and it certainly in this case would almost uh, you know unquestionably be downtown downtown if if it suffers because the wizards and the caps leave that's an area that is four blocks off the national mall it's right across from the portrait gallery it's a place that tourists should want to go not avoid and i just worry that if the equation becomes the nfl team is back and there's a romantic notion about being back at the rfk site and that's way better than fedex field and and the stadium itself is is you know, obviously better than FedEx field. Um, if that comes in and the, the Wizards and Caps still leave, it's a net loss and a net loss by a wide margin for the district.
1: And and again, this is where you're, uh, you know, you live there. I can look at the geography and I can visit that area. But like the great thing about Cap 1 and then to a degree Nats Park is that even though those areas were not in great shape prior to those stadiums coming in, they were connected to the bigger Downtown area or Capitol Hill or what have you, the RFK site. I, I don't, I don't see it. I don't see that that is like again. You could build condos or apartments or townhouses or Whole Food, Whole Foods and EF Changs, or whatever. But like, it's not. I don't know that I see people like easily migrating there on the days that there's no game. Whereas like now, Nats Park. If somebody says, "Hey, we're going over to the Nats Park area for a drink." in November, I don't think to my, I mean I'm I don't leave my house. But I don't think to myself um well, that's insane. Why would I want to go over there like oh, okay, sure, that's part of town. Same thing with with Cap One. I've gone out to Cap One area many times when I wasn't there was no game. I I don't know. I mean, time will tell. I just don't see it so that too doesn't make sense if you're saying that the reason you build these things is to, you know, help help the help the area. Obviously, DC's trying that to a degree with the uh the wizard's practice facility, but that's, you know, that's a much smaller degree, but that's kind of the same general point.
2: Yeah. And and I think another part about the downtown arena is it's accessible by all the Metro lines, not just one Metro line. Um, I guess, uh, you know, RFK would be orange, blue and, and silver, but that's essentially for, for most of the space through downtown. That's all the same. That's all the same line. Um, I, I feel like the Alexandria site, you know would be only the blue line i believe because it would go past uh um the airport um and then you know uh the rfk site does feel more detached unless you're like you know east side of capitol hill um resident and and then you know the residents there don't really want it a uh, football stadium um mucking up their neighborhood either so i you know I really do. To circle it back, I feel like. I mean, we had a story over this weekend, and kind of TikTok on on what went down with with Ted and, and the district, and there was a point when when Mayor Bowser came back with the five hundred million dollar offer, which is, um, you know, five hundred million of the eight hundred million that Ted wants to put in, wanted to put into revitalizing Cap One. Um, she did that on the Sunday night before. The, the Wednesday press conference that Monumental announced they were going to Virginia, Ted said, if you'd come to me with this, you know, whatever, six months ago, I would have accepted it. That really shows how the district was um, asleep at the wheel here. And, and now it's going to be so hard to put the toothpaste back in the tube because I can I think Ted is genuinely excited about the opportunity of building something from scratch and the district is going to be kicking itself for not getting out ahead of it and, and and you know, never even having him know that there was a Potomac Yards that could potentially be developed into a sports and entertainment complex.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, look, I mean, I, I look, I'm not a, am not shy about knocking Ted uh, for all like I, I I like the fact that this whole process has put a, sh- a shine of a brighter light on how he's been running his teams, essentially, and it's a lot of hot air, I'll just say. Um, you know, I mean, this thing, like the the rollout of this thing was not, it was not nearly buttoned up enough as it needed to be. And he's having to sort of defend himself now, uh, going back and all this whole monumental, like their attempts to like put positive spin on is is just cracking me up. I saw there was one about the other day about, you know, it's not that big of a deal with the Metro. Nobody was gonna have to transfer more than once. And I'm like that you have to say that more than once. What, what, what? more than one time is like okay that's like part of the norm for almost anybody depending where you're going more than once to like, get, get out of here um the whole thing is 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 way is crazy so that said the commander situation look obviously they've been busy as an organization Josh Harris is learning the league they just uh you're trying to fire up the fan base they just went reorganized the whole football staff there's a draft coming up all these things but they haven't been saying much, of least publicly. They were kind of, I guess, watching this whole thing. So what do you think this means for them? Because if 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 Ted does get to move to Virginia, oh boy, is Josh Harris gonna have to pay a dime to put to get a stadium at RFK? He he has all the power.
2: Well, yes, but I also think um that any plan that the district offered that um took tax money and put it toward the stadium would be really hard to to put through. If you remember in um the deal that got the nationals here from montreal um you know that was a publicly funded ballpark uh that was you know from tax receipts from hotel and essentially from out of towners. so that's how they sold it but you can't you know that still is revenue that you're generating that could be used towards something else this is a tight budget as the mayor and the council have said and i just don't I don't really see a world where the district is putting significant public funds into building a stadium for the Commanders. I mean, I think Harris's job, to a certain extent, without being nefarious, is to get the three districts to play or the three jurisdictions to play off each other um, and compete for him. You know, with Maryland, um, uh, Virginia, and and the district. But I don't know, you know, if Virginia is using some measure of public funds to bring monumental over, are they going to be able to do that again for a, a stadium as we've discussed that will be filled a fraction of the nights that um, a basketball and hockey uh, arena would be. And does this put more pressure on Maryland to to keep the team where, where it is? I, I'm not sure. And I think I I've said this about the monumental thing. And I think it's true with the commander stadium. like, I feel like we're a lot closer to the beginning of all this than we are to the end. And I, I think that's true for, for both projects.
1: Um, lastly, cause I, I know you, you need to go. So again, the, the commit, I mean, all these teams are, are being are, are tied together. Cause you're right. If Virginia gets a new wizard's caps arena, well then they're probably out of, of the commanders. And I was already in my head kind of putting them at third, just based on like locations. Like I just, you know, I know nobody loves the PG County site, but it's already there. I just think Virginia, and it's essentially inside the Beltway, right? I mean, more it is, you know, for right. whereas Virginia, it's say whatever you want about that, that's where the, the money is and people are, but I just don't, I don't know if I'm buying that that's where Harris would end up. So that said, though, a lot of then depends on what happens here. Uh, a lot of PR push going on. I thought whoever wrote Mayor Bowser's op-ed a week or so ago, I thought that was, whoever that ghostwriter was, I mean, assuming she had help, that person needs a raise. I thought that was a really good letter. And then, you know, the, the article that, that, that your paper had um, the other day, as you said, had some really good uh, TikTok information. So that said, where do you think the momentum is and what, and where do you think this all lands? Because, uh, you know, again, where that stadium goes is going to dictate, I think, a lot to what happens to the commanders.
2: Well, I would say I agree with you about, you know, if you're going to Loudon or beyond for a Commanders stadium that I would liken that to um, the 49ers moving to Santa Clara, right. that, that just it feels wrong. Like when you watch a 49ers game on TV, it doesn't really affect you, but like, that fan base was thrown for a loop and that people in downtown San Francisco, like Santa Clara is not, that it's worse than PG County or, or Alexandria. It's a, you know, a fundamentally different place, um, both, you know, in feel and in, in logistics. So Loudon, I think you would be, or, or anywhere in like kind of exurban Virginia, you, you'd be asking your fan base to reinvent itself. Like the PG County base, which I think is, now the the heart of the commanders um in stadium fan fan base um would be completely alienated uh and and so if i had to rank uh, the likelihood and maybe the desirability um i would go maryland at the existing site or adjacent to it then the district at the rfk site and then something in in virginia i just feel like um as much as people gripe about FedEx and getting there and, and all that, that kind of stuff. You're right in that they're used to it and the infrastructure is mostly there. Um, and and the griping is more about FedEx FedEx itself than it is about um, the, the location of it. And obviously, you kind of trust Harris and his group to come up with something that is, you know, on the leading edge of what we expect football stadiums to, to be like, um, and if he did that, I, I think that the um, land oversight would be just fine.
1: Uh, he is, of course, uh, at Barry's Verluga on Twitter or X. Uh, always read Barry uh, in the Washington Post. Touches on a bunch of topics. The Nats, I'm sure, are keeping you busy with their non-sale going on. Whatever the heck they're doing. Uh, appreciate the time, my guy. I'm sure I'll see you out at the uh, at an Ashburn uh, soon enough.
2: Thanks, Ben. I appreciate it.
1: All right. Uh- Great stuff there from those two guys. I really appreciate their time. Now I said I would play some of the audio for you from today's assistants. We'll start with Brian Johnson, uh, the new past game coordinator, former Eagles offensive coordinator. And then we'll get to uh, Ryan Kerrigan, one of the few holdovers, obviously a name everybody here knows. And then lastly, Ken Norton Jr., three-time Super Bowl champion, who has worked with Dan Quinn in the past, was at UCLA the last couple of years, but is back in the NFL and with his guy, Dan Quinn. So here we go with those three right now.
2: So as you're getting more familiar with this, rock, you
0: played against a lot of these guys twice a year or saw them on the other side of the field. How uh, vital is it to have a player like Terry McLaurin for a young quarterback as he begins his development?
3: Yeah, I mean, that's huge. Anytime you have guys on the perimeter that can make plays, um, and that are quarterback friendly, you know. It's it's obviously a huge positive for the offense.
1: Hey. Uh, Ben Standick with the Athletic. Hey, pleasure. Nice yeah, to meet how you, you.
3: Doing? You doing all right?
1: Hanging in there. Um, you are here at your title, uh, assistant head coach and offensive uh, pass game quarter coordinator. For you, what I guess, what do those duties mean?
3: Yeah. So, um, you know, I really I get a chance to work with. With everybody on the offense, and uh, you know, very, very appreciative of Coach Quinn. You know, I've I've, I've had such uh, a huge amount of respect for him, not only as a coach but as a person. And everybody that you talk to throughout the profession uh, since my time has said nothing but great things about him. So I'm really excited to get that opportunity to uh, to be here and, and be on the staff and and, uh, and be with, be with great people. So you know, in my new role, I'm. I'm excited to get a chance to kind of be able to, uh, be able to work, to work with, work with everyone on the offense.
1: Um, h- how did you get hooked up here? Like how did, cause obviously it's a whirlwind for these guys and, and for you as well, when things are changing, you're trying to figure out where, where am I going to land? How did you kind of get hooked up with, with this group?
3: Yeah. Well, so I've known, uh, yes, I've known Cliff for a really long time. Uh, you know, I've known coach Quinn obviously playing in the, the division twice a year for, the last three years, uh, you know, so we had always kept in, in communication and contact. And, and when you know he got an opportunity uh, to come here, you know, I was I was excited to to get a chance to uh, to join him.
1: Yeah. Um, you obviously uh, worked with Jalen as he was uh, coming up through the league and got a lot of uh, recognition for that. What did that experience? How do you think that experience is going to help you here with? presumably another young quarterback to, to help develop?
3: Um, yeah, I think, you know, the key is just understanding, like, how can you maximize each player that's at your disposal? And, and, and just being very clear, very direct with the plan of action in order to get that done. And then having the flexibility to, to have that move at the pace it needs to move uh, for the player to have maximum production and confidence. So... Um, you know, I think that's that's what this game is all about it's about development, and i mean it really doesn't matter if you're a young player or an old player like this it's it's constant evolution it's constantly changing um you have to be able to you have to be able to develop young players you have to be able to develop older players and because their games change as they get older so um, you know i think that's the essence of coaching that's why you do it and uh
1: I'll, I'll ask you a, yeah, a couple questions. You know, sure. you're, you're, you're one of the guys who's staying. Like, you know, you obviously now, it's a different evolution. How is it to, when you find out, I guess, that you were going to stay? What? It's I mean, Not just as a job, but, like, you're a guy here. You play, you know, you were one of the legends here.
4: It, it, uh, it means a lot. I mean, this, you know, you, you want to win wherever you are in football as a player, as a coach. But when, you know, for me, it's a little a little different here because you know this organization does mean so much to me so it's uh it's it's very exciting to be back very exciting to be with a you know a leader like coach Quinn who people rave about um so I'm I'm really excited for
1: this opportunity I mean obviously this organization's gone through a lot and a lot of changes right now but to, it, to me it seems a important almost to have someone with ties not just to last year but ties to back to for you know for fans for the organization to say, hey we have a guy who knows stuff I, to me that just did you get a sense for them but that, that was beyond your skills as a, as a coach that that was important well of course you want to be be hired for your skills as a
4: coach as a coach and what they and the value they see in you as a coach but uh i definitely you know, I, I don't take i don't take the opportunity to be here for granted because it's it is it is unique and it is it is very it, it is, it's special to me it's special to my family my kids they love they love this they love this organization um wife does and so it's it's it definitely means a lot to us
1: um i know you're on the linebacker side now but if we if we look at the overall roster you might be the best defensive end on the roster right now or here what what, what, what do you kind of make of the fact that it's, it's so different no chase no montez all those guys are free agents what do you kind of make because obviously you worked with that group last year what do you kind of make of where that position is right now
4: yeah i mean it's you know we, we're kind of doing our evals right now and seeing what we need uh Terms of terms of roster management and whatnot. Uh, I am excited to work with the linebackers, though. It's it's uh, you know, I, don't get me wrong, I loved working with the D line last year and in the previous year, but I'm very excited to get going with uh, Coach Norton. He's uh, a great football mind, been a coordinator twice in this league, played a long time, was a three-time Super Bowl champ. So I'm very excited to get to learn from him in, in, in the linebacker role. And uh, yeah, it's really cool
1: and all these like different you're the the pass rush coordinator all these titles didn't exist even a few years ago what does that mean for you from your perspective what is the pass rush order is it that obvious that you're gonna
4: help these guys get the quarterback yeah i'm gonna try to you know just try to help guys get to the qb the best i can you know just hoping to impart some impart some wisdom that you know we just you don't don't need to be super fancy with what you do you just gotta be fast be be violent and gotta be relentless in your pursuit and that's gonna that's what i'm gonna try to impart on the guys and Hopefully that'll, that'll lead to some good results in the pass rush phase. You've been a part of this organization for an awfully long time. And you walk, you walk into the coaches meeting, and there's Daryl Tapp, former teammate of yours. cool and, and how unusual and, and neat a process this is gonna be for all of you guys? It's really cool. You know, him and I were actually talking the other day. We were sitting in one of the in our the meeting room that you, we used to be our outside backward meeting room you know back in 2013 so very very cool and kind of you know full circle moment in that sense you know to look a, to look in there and still see Daryl Tap in there into it just you know 11 years removed so it's it's a very cool opportunity and one that he and I are both you know very excited about you and guys like Tevita are holdovers right you guys remain in this staff it is a brand new staff well, what's your when you see the names you see the faces how does that hit Ryan Carey it's really cool, and I think one of the unique things about this whole staff is that you got coaches from everywhere. You got college, you got pros, you got this team, that team, the other team. Like, and, and I think that's going to be really beneficial because it's there's you're going to have input from a lot of you know, different ways of doing things, and so it's it's I think it's going to be really cool. I know I of the.
1: Uh, you're here. You're back in the pros. What uh, when you heard from I guess I don't know if it was Dan Quinn that called you up, yeah. presumably? When you heard, hey. You're Interested, what was kind of going through your mind?
5: Uh, well, I've always been a pro guy, you know, from you know, the uh, as a player and as a coach in Seattle and Oakland. So uh, I love this league and I love coaching. So to me, it's a, it's a great marriage. Um, linebacker is such an interesting
1: position. It was kind of de emphasized here a little bit the last couple of years. And I guess a lot of teams are going more nickel instead of the you know, 4 3 kind of deal.
0: Right. On the other
1: hand, you look at some of the teams that were in it to win it in the end, San exactly. friend with Fred Warner. Uh, the Chiefs had. You know, Bolton's really good. Into where, where, do you, where do you kind of see the linebacker position right now in this league?
5: Well, uh, the linebacker position—it kind of depends. When you look at, the, like you said, when you look at the, the tough teams—the Baltimore's, the San Francisco's, the Kansas City's—those yeah. teams with, with uh, tough guys in the middle, uh, c- helping create your identity, really uh, uh, being aggressive to the line of scrimmage, doing well in the pass coverage and blitzing and things like that. Uh, if you want to be a good defense. There's a lot of good examples of really good linebackers playing, so it just comes down to exactly what you want as a uh, as an organization.
1: What what's you've obviously worked with Dan before, and I know he's talked today about how the systems involved. But like, what's your sense of how the linebackers fit in with like kind of what he's looking to do?
5: Well, we haven't had a chance to really talk a lot of scheme yet. You know, we're still kind of getting together, the staff just coming together uh, for, for the first time really this week. So it's a little early for that. We haven't talked a lot of schemes, so I'll have a better answer for you maybe uh, in, in a week or so. I'm sure. I
1: imagine you have looked at tape of guys, not just who are currently on the roster, but some others, but on the roster, your work probably didn't take that long because uh, Jamin Davis, right. and then uh, not much else. Right. Turn, you know, right now,
5: right. Uh,
1: how is that to go into kind of a real unknown, other than sort of the one guy?
5: Well, it's pretty exciting because then you have a chance to, you know pick the guys that you like, have a good feel for, you know, uh, the type of measurables and the type of uh, traits, demonstrated traits that you like at the position, so you have a chance to really collaborate and talk to uh, uh, the defensive coaches and uh, obviously the head coaches and defensive guys. So there's going to be a lot of collaboration in the next, you know, few weeks with free agency and the draft coming up about exactly who we are and what our identity is.
1: Damon Davis. I don't know how much you were able to watch of him prior to, to this, but I guess his early thoughts. He's clearly got all the physical tools. Right. But what's your kind of view right. of, of,
5: of him? Uh, like you said, I haven't had a chance to evaluate him much for the short time when I've been here, and I haven't had a chance to talk to him and meet him at all. Uh, but the little bit I've seen.
1: Uh, <laughs> yeah. And just like with, with Dan, obviously you know him well. Um, what made you kind of want to come back to work with him again, and what can you what can you say kind of about who he is as a coach and why it could be a good fit here.
5: Yeah, he's been a special uh, person, special coach. We've had a special relationship, but he's also always been a type of uh, coach that understands people, uh, knows how to bring good people together, and then knows how to bring the best out of people. And uh, that's why I like to work with him. And he's got great energy. He's always happy, always positive, always, ha- always has great energy.
1: All right, there you go. Many thanks again to... Barry's Verluga and Randy Mueller for their time. Thanks to, uh, well, the assistants had no real choice but to talk to us, so I'll thank them anyway. <laughs> uh, thanks to that, and thanks to you guys for checking out the podcast, checking out The Athletic, and uh, just checking uh, checking out. I'm, I'm glad, uh, I don't know, felt, felt like a kind of a little bit of a positive week here so far. Maybe it's because we're past the coaching stuff. It's now forward thinking. The free agency in the draft is always a, a bit of a hopeful time, especially when you have a new group that isn't involving Dan Snyder and the, the chances of things going haywire seem to be decreased based on that premise. Uh, so we'll see. So, um, uh, oh, by the way, let me just quickly say on the, for, for next week, uh, eh, you know what? Forget it. I'll do it. If I do, I'll do a podcast Monday. We'll talk more, but then I was going to get into the schedule and what are some things to know uh, about this week to keep an eye on we'll do that later for now enough for this appreciate it we'll talk soon until next time see you